I believe there's a hero in all of us. You have great powers, only some of which you have yet discovered. I'm a superhero, Mama. A real-life superhero. The world needs extraordinary. We will make you a superhero. Are you ready to become a hero? Initiating surprise in three. This two is one. The Real Brian Show. Sympathy versus empathy. Should it be required? And, you know, tis the season. Here are a few of my favorite things. Eggnog, spiced cider, Christmas trees and lights, festivities, the music, and the mad scientist. <laughs> Let's rock it! Okay. <laughs> that was awesome. It's good to have your laugh back. Yeah, it's good to be back. Good Dude, to be laughing again. Can can you give us that hello that you used to do a long time ago? You know, I, you only got that hello because I was choking on something. So here, let me try to take a swig of something and send it down the wrong pipe. <laughs> hello. That's great. I, I, you know, we played it before, but it is pretty funny though. And I just, I don't see, were you actually choking though? Is that really what was happening? I think that's what it was. My throat was a little bit scratchy at the time. I was trying to say oh, something that. in a sexy voice. And that's what it was. The sexy voice. Yeah. It was you supposed know, I was to trying be like, to go for like the, the, the really deep hello there, which, okay, there you go. That's pretty good. But no, I, I, I tripped over my tongue as I do sometimes and we got the uh, catchphrase that we all know and love. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> That's great. Well, I, I've got something here for you that is uh, fantastic. So, um, you know, it's it, like I said, it's the season, right? And this is one of my favorite things of the season is this movie. If any of you are looking for any last minute gift ideas for me? I have one. I like Frank Shirley, my boss right here tonight. I want him brought from his happy holiday slumber over there in Melody Lane with all the other rich people. And I want him brought right here. With a big ribbon on his head. And I want to look him straight in the eye. And I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit he is. Hallelujah. Where's the Tylenol? There you go. Merry Christmas. Hallelujah. <laughs> Oh, mad scientist. Welcome back. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me again, Brian. Dude. Well, I thank you for reaching out, man. It's been a, a while since you and I've chatted and even, and I was like, you know, it'd be good to get the mad scientist back on. And then not what, maybe a day or two later, you're like, Hey, what's up? I haven't talked in a long time. I'm like, no way. Timing. What is our timing. We've done that to each other multiple times. <laughs> it's amazing, dude. Well done. You too. And welcome back. Thank you. Yes. All right. So man, we've got a lot going on today, but you like Christmas, right? Sometimes. Okay. Yeah. We'll go with yes. How about let's go with the season of Christmas? Okay. Do you like the season of Christmas? Sure. (laughs) I love how definitive you are. Yes. Now what? Okay. What prevents you from loving it? I don't think that the colors red and green go well together. (laughs) (laughs) So somebody was talking about that. Wait. Oh, it was my mom. There we go. So she was talking about. I don't know all this, but she was talking about the different colors and how certain colors go well with things. 
And apparently green in general is not pleasing to the human eye overall. And I so- like it when it's outside with like plants, but as a rule, I guess it's not supposed to be worn as clothing. Well, if you go look at, so this is what they were talking about. If you look at trees and let's say you go to an evergreen tree or something like that. If you look closely, you'll realize that it's not pure green. It's got like hues of blue in it, other things like that. Mm. And so the whole point is, is that a stark green is not pleasing. And, you know, with Christmas colors, it's flat, stark green. See, that's fair. So maybe that's why. Maybe the green and red of Christmas has just destroyed the moment and the season for you. Completely. (laughs) Not completely. And I do enjoy it. There are moments that are cheesier than others, but is it the expectations of gifts, the pressures of having to, you know, have all of these gifts purchased for the special people in your life? Is that kind of the issue, too? I mean, I like the special people in my life. I like buying things for them, but having it assigned is a little bit of extra pressure. See, that might have something to do with it. That's like Valentine's Day. We were talking about Valentine's Day recently, you know, this idea of how it's nice to get something for someone or even though I'm, I'm a terrible gift shopper personally, it's nice to be able to go out and do something for someone when they you know don't expect it or when they need something or whatever. But yeah, when there's that expectation that's just sitting on top of you and trying to destroy your life bit by bit. I feel like that was a mantra I used to hear all the time. Like I want to do it because I want to rather than because I have to. Yeah. Something that Sarah and I started doing was let's put a little less emphasis on the gifts and a little more emphasis on the experiences of the season. All so right. for example, instead of buying gifts for each other, you know, things, this is the thing too. It's like, you know, we actually like gift cards and stuff because they're useful versus like, you know, Hey, buying us something fun. And well, we don't really have a whole lot of space for other things, you know, unless it's something we need or it's something that's just like, wow, that's really cool. And that's very helpful or whatever you know, that's fine. Most of the time it's just like, you know, we're kind of into more experiences and and yes, gift cards are cool or, you know, anything that's again, useful. So we've put a little bit of less emphasis and this goes for most of the family in general on the whole gift stuff and more on, Hey, let's go to this Christmas concert or, you know, let's go light tour or whatever, you know, whatever's going on. Right. I like it. And it's been a lot of fun in the last few years. Really looked forward to this time of year rather than being so stressed out about it. CSU, the music department, puts on this Christmas concert that we just found out about this year for the first time. Ooh. And we went to it and it was like, um, whoa, <laughs> I had no idea they were so good. And I had no idea that they sounded better than a lot of the professional symphonies. And Oh, I shouldn't have said that out loud, but still it's Thanks, like, son. wow, it was amazing. Yeah. So what's up in your life, man? What's going on? My life is school right now. I am nearing the end of my medical school career. Nice. I have about a semester left, so I'm applying for the residency that will come afterwards. So how so. does this work? You go to school for four years, med school for four years, and then you do a residency, which takes place for how long and what do you do? I mean, it overall, what are you doing on now? the field? Okay. So for me, I'm going into the field of pediatric neurology. Okay. So I'm going to be working with kids, working with brains, all things that I enjoy as a mad scientist. Mm. It's going to be good, but it can be anywhere from three to seven years. Wow. Depending on what specialty you go into. So for something simple, like just general practice, it'll be somewhere around three years. Okay. And if you want to go specialized, do any kind of longer surgery, any kind of subspecialty, it tends to be a little bit longer. I think the longest is pediatric neurosurgery. You have to go like four years for surgery, two years for neurosurgery, and two years for working with kids. Wow. But you're doing neurology. Are you yes, going to be so doing... mine will be five. Okay. Wow. 
are you able to practice medicine in your residency? You know, are you? How does this work? Are you supervised? Are do you have to wait until you know a certain amount of time? I will be practicing under supervision. Okay, so I will be the person admitting patients, seeing patients in clinic. Mm-hmm. I'm doing most of the work, coming up with treatment plans, and then all of that will be run past the rest of the team that I'm on um, through the attending physician, who's kind of the big kahuna in charge of the team on any given day. Gotcha. And that'll kind of get rolled into some kind of feedback or, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Or, no, that doesn't sound great. Here's what we should do instead. And kind of becomes like a learning opportunity for everyone involved. You know, regardless of the fact that you're still a mad scientist, that's awesome. You know, are always going to be that. But gone, unfortunately, gone are the days where there's this dark kind of stormy night going on. All of a sudden you see this giant lightning bolt strike this building and you hear this mad laugh and you realize that the mad scientist is in there experimenting. Like now you have to get approval for all that. Essentially. We'll have to get approval while I'm at work. <laughs> so, no okay. one said that's not how I spend my free time. It's the, uh, the alter ego. There we go. Yes, I like this. Well, that's cool. So are you, do you know what well, you don't know where you're going? Cause you said you've been applying. I've been applying all over the country. What, so what's your visiting, Oh goodness. I can't be too picky about where I end up. I would love to come back home. Mm-hmm. I'll be checking out Colorado in a couple of weeks. Um, I've been over to the Midwest with that actually has some really fantastic programs there. Nice. I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan and Nashville, Tennessee. Wow. And the hospitals and people there are extraordinary in running around the country. I found that you can find good wherever you look. You just have to know where to go. So this is your final year, right? This is my final year. Oh, man, this is crazy. It, it's been such a journey, too, because, you know, we've we've known each other for quite some time now. And I just remember applying for med school, which takes time. I mean, it, I don't know how many years it took, but I know it took you a few years, which is a very. No, yeah, it took me a few goes yeah. around the uh, track. And for those of you that don't know, Brian and I met long before I even made the decision to go to med school. So yeah. he's seen this entire process pretty much from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's quite extensive and it's very usual for, you know, things to take years to get in. I mean, we know our, our friend Rob Dog, who went into dentistry school, same kind of thing, took him years to get into. It's just, it's one of those processes, you know, they want to know how determined you are. Ah, oh, it's crazy, man. But then you yep. did it. And uh, we've met some other people through this whole thing, you know, now. And man, what a, what a cool experience. Yeah, well, for I, sure. I hope you can get back here because then you can be, uh, of course, you know, you're going to be in pediatric neurology, so I can't see you. Dang it. <laughs> I'll just come see you and be like, can I have a lollipop? Cause I just, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to be about six feet taller than most of the people in my clinic, but uh, I'll see if I can pull some strings, make an exception. It's going to be like elf. Yes. Know, when he shows exactly. up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> oh man. People are going to be like, what's this joker doing here? And I'll be like, he likes smiling. Smiling's his favorite. Yeah. It's, and I like don't worry about it. eating little cotton balls, something yes. like that. Yeah. And I'll be like, yeah, he's creepy. No, that's the real Brian. Like, yeah, he's great. Not eat the cotton balls, please. <laughs> Especially not after they've been dipped in formaldehyde. Sure, also, yeah. sure, it'll preserve you, but you might not feel good. No. Yeah. You will not. Talked about some stuff last week. Anyway, last week's topic. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to it. It's very interesting. But, you know, sometimes when you need to pro- process something, I think that's probably the best way to put it. When you need to process something, there's a tendency to feel like I'm getting really passionate about it and it might come across as being a little negative, which of course I wasn't intending to be negative. And I actually heard this after we recorded the episode and it was this take something that drives you crazy and then flip it into something positive. 
And I thought, you know, I took something that drove me crazy and I talked about it, but I didn't flip it into something positive. So we were talking about this idea of commitment and intentionality. And I decided, you know, what? I'm going to put my phone down. I'm going to engage with people in public and I'm going to turn it into something positive. So I stared at them awkwardly till they acknowledged me. And I was told later that it was considered leering or stalking and, you know, as they escorted me. Well, there is that. Yeah. So I probably should not again. Yeah, I know. It's just one of those things, man. But I love the idea of taking something that drives you crazy and flipping it into something positive as long as you're not escorted away. That is is an important distinction to make. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I learned that one from you. The whole staring at people, you know, for long periods of time, because, you know, you're really good at that. I can neither confirm nor deny that this is true. (laughs) Oh, okay. Anyway, so back to the idea. You're you're studying for boards right now. What's going on with that? I am studying for boards right now. So there are two sets of boards during the third and fourth year of medical school, one of which is based on your clinical knowledge. Um, That's the one that I've taken already. That's the long 300-question multiple-choice exam that everyone has to take in order to apply to residency. It's wonderful, and everybody hates it. Who doesn't like a good test? Not when it lasts for eight and a half hours and you have to spend the whole year studying for it. Yeah, I hate tests anyway, so I was more, more kidding than anything else. Eight oh, hours, man. So they just sit there and grill you. Um, so this one, it's basically just answering questions on a computer. Oh, for eight so, hours? For eight hours. Do you get a break? You can take breaks. You oh, have okay. a specifically allotted, um, they give you like break time. And whenever you like pause the exam... The break time counter starts and it just counts down. Mm. It's like, this is how much break you have left. The second set of boards that I'm preparing for now um, is based more on your clinical skills and your ability to interact with people. So this one, it'll be, I think it's 12 patient encounters over the course of, again, eight hours. Essentially, everyone has a problem, a chief complaint, a specific set of things in their medical history or things on their physical exam that'll kind of point to, oh, this is what's wrong with them. Mm-hmm. So my job is in 15 minutes to go in with each of these people, talk with them, get their history, and then do an exam and tell them, here's what I think is going on. Then I'll write a note about all of that and they'll tell me, okay, you did good or okay, you didn't get do good. Hey, congratulations, you did well or congratulations, your patient's dead, you failed. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Correct. yeah. yeah. So, This kind of takes us into one of the topics we were kind of thinking about for the day um, because one of the things that they grade you on is patient-physician interaction. And there is a certain number of empathetic statements that you need to make throughout the course of the interview. Things like, oh, it sounds like that must be difficult for you. Or (laughs) it sounds like you're in a great deal of pain. And things that kind of show that you are understanding their perspective. I think it's all bunk because it sounds super contrived and it is just there to demonstrate to the people grading this test that, oh, yeah, you're actually a human being. But in general, you know, that's something that's presented to us as something that's good. You want to be able to kind of put yourself into the patient's shoes, Mm -hmm. kind of understand what they're feeling, be able to feel their pain. Or do you? I was listening to a... uh, podcast a couple probably a couple of weeks back that was talking about the difference between sympathy and empathy empathy of course is the ability to put yourself into another person's shoes to feel their pain to understand where they're at Mm -hmm. and sympathy is more along the lines of having compassion 
or what someone else is going through. Mm. So empathy is more feeling it yourself and sympathy is more feeling it for them. What about you? What's natural for you? I feel like I can be a little more sympathetic um, because I tend to have not experienced a lot of the things that other people experience. I haven't had their same lives. So obviously I don't know what a lot of these things are like. So it's hard for me to kind of put myself into that position. Which one do you think would be a little more important in medicine? That is the question. So the argument that this guy that I was listening to is making is that empathy can be not toxic, but even a little bit harmful. Really? If you get so caught up in like, oh, I feel the pain that they're in and you get so distracted by that, that Mm. you forget that it's your job to kind of fix the problem. Yeah. Mm. Then that can actually be a distraction. And I can kind of understand that if you're the sort of person that feels everybody else's anxiety, then it's very difficult to sustain that emotionally. This was years ago. I mean, this was like the first year that I even applied to medical school. So That's been longer than I care to admit, but he was the dean of admissions for one of the schools I interviewed at basically gave us this whole spiel that there are two types of doctors that kill people. The one that walks in thinking, oh, I know everything. I don't need anyone's help. I am going to do this because that person has no idea what their patient is feeling. They have no idea how to work with the people around them and make use of the team and the resources around them. As far as they're concerned, they are the superstar and that gets people killed. Mm. And the second person is the one that spends all of their time feeling their patient's pain that thinks, oh my gosh, they're going through so much difficult stuff. I just, I can't take it. I need to take a second. It's like giving hugs to everyone. (laughs) And in the meantime, they're not actually solving the problem that needs to be solved. Fascinating. You know, it's funny. My neurosurgeon... Yes, I really wanted to kind of get your perspective on this because I know you've been going through some of this. Yes, so my neurosurgeon for when my disc ruptured, I would say, was what you described the first person to be. Mm -hmm. He was definitely not sympathetic and he was definitely not empathetic at all. He was the, I know everything, at least that's what came across. Okay, so whether or not this is actually true in the, um, you know, quite a bit of time that I spent with him, that's what he presented himself as. He actually told me, he's like, hey, you know, it's like a 95 to 99% chance success rate. You're going to be just fine. You're going to walk right off that table and you'll be walking the next day and, you know, you'll you'll never have a disc issue again with that same disc and pretty much just had that air of, I'm, I got this, you know? Oh, yeah. And so then uh, I went in for the surgery. Oh, and here's another thing, too. Something that I've just heard recently is you don't ever want to schedule a surgery or something serious uh, around the holidays and like close to holidays. So close to Christmas, close to New Year's and all that, because one, you know, there's either issues of being hungover or there's issues of I'm leaving on vacation the next day and my mind is elsewhere, especially for doctors who've been doing it for a long time. And unfortunately, I got my surgery on New Year's Eve, which I have to. And he was he was literally getting on a plane later that day. And so I'm like, man, I wonder if that had something to do with it. I don't know. I mean, this is total speculation too. like this. This could be absolutely not even true at all, whatever. But my point being is that that was an interesting side comment that I heard. So, yes, I went in in excruciating pain, but at least I had full function. I go through the surgery. I wake up and I fall off the table because I can't walk and I have no you know, control of my left leg. Mm, Obviously, something that. Yeah, something went wrong, damaged the sciatic nerve, no signal, whatever. 
So then, uh, you know, I went back to him multiple times and, and he was just kind of like, ah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Whatever. You know, not not the whole compassion at all. And it, it, he just didn't care. You could just tell he just didn't care. He's like, whatever. I did my job. Yeah, but <laughs> this is a serious problem. And he's like, oh, you'll be fine. Three months later. Well, I don't know what to tell you. It looks like this is what you're going to deal with the rest of your life. Really? Well, thank or you. we could ask some more questions and figure out why this is happening and try to figure out a solution to the problem. Not at all. Just spitballing here. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. So that was uh, almost four years ago. Now, this is something I haven't even talked about on the show yet, but about five weeks ago, I all of a sudden started to have some serious sciatic pain. Haven't had really any sciatic pain since basically after the, the surgery recovery period. I still don't have, you know, function of the sciatic nerve. There's still numbness. There's still things that don't work entirely, but I haven't had sciatic pain. That's, you know, been like, ouch, this, this hurts like it did before the surgery. Oh yeah. Um, this has been going on. It's gotten a little bit better. I've learned how to sort of manage the pain, you know, doing all of this stuff. Finally, it was like, go get an MRI. You need to see what's going on. I go get an MRI. Well, okay. So two things happen. One is it sounds like it's the exact same disc. Second of all, the uh, radiologist in the report said something about, well, your your disc has shown improvement since your 2013 MRI. It's still compressing on the S1 nerve. Mm. And I thought, wait a minute. What do you mean by improvement? I had surgery. I wrote that down. You should know that. <laughs> so it's kind of like, wait, did, the, did you not read what I wrote down? So hearing your thing about sympathy, empathy, and all that also has to come back to paying attention. Yes. And if the if the radiologist is saying, well, your your disc has shown improvement, did you not read the fact that I had surgery? Thank you for sharing that. I, I feel like that's incredibly relevant and super important. Yeah. And it's frustrating for me because I would agree now that I'm thinking about it as a patient. If I had somebody who was being empathetic to me as a doctor, that is like it's cool if friends are empathetic. But if a doctor were empathetic, I would almost feel like, dude, stop. Just let's find the solution. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. but sympathetic. I want that doctor to show me compassion. I want that doctor to say, you know what, man, I'm going to do what it takes to, to help you. We're going to find a solution. You know, that's where the yeah. compassion comes in. Uh, and I find that that's not a very common thing anymore. I mean, I, I have my theories, but I don't know why for sure. Sure. But I'm finding it more and more that like, as I'm seeing doctors, like I go in for, you know, a, an annual heart checkup because I have a, a heart condition that I've had since I was you know very young. He asked me, t- tell me what you think about this one. He asked me if you've had like heart palpitations. And I said, well, yeah, I get heart palpitations. And he's like, well, really? And I said, yeah, but typically I said I can almost correlate every one of them to stress. High levels of stress, that is uh, high levels of caffeine, which I don't really do very much anymore. Significant lack of sleep. And I said, I can usually correlate it to those moments. And he's like, oh, those those have no relation. We need to get you in for an echo. And I went, wait, what? Those have no correlation. Like, are you kidding me? They they do. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, they absolutely do. And so I thought, okay, fine. I also find that like eating a banana. So you've got your potassium and or magnesium and also stuff like fish oil, you know, that's like heart healthy. Yeah. I've noticed that if I, well, you know, my heart's palpitating because I'm stressed. I'm going to go eat a banana and, you know, take a little fish oil. And honestly, like the palpitations typically go away. And especially too, if I can manage the stress and go get a good night of sleep, usually don't have any problem. But right. what's the first diagnosis? Get you in for an, a super expensive test. Mm-hmm. So I just thought, man, there's some interesting. That's not sympathetic or empathetic at all. That's just kind of no. like, what are you doing? So that's kind of been my my recent experiences. 
with doctors. So it's kind of funny that you're bringing this up. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I don't want to be negative and, you know, but I was just like, huh, whatever. But then on no, the yeah, other hand, course. you know, my physical therapist, who's amazing, he's been on the show and he's very sympathetic. It's exactly what he brings to the table, but he's not empathetic. So that goes back to your point. There's two doctors that kill people, the empathetic ones and the ones who think they know it all. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, and it's extremes of both of those. And there can be doctors that show a lot of empathy or doctors who do know a lot and act like it, who are still very good. But it was kind of interesting to hear those two traits kind of called out. And I think that illustrates something kind of deeper within humanity, where there's this need that we have to feel like we're being heard Mm. to feel that absolutely someone understands us. Yeah. And this isn't a problem that's limited to the medical field. I feel like that's somewhere where it's really highlighted because we have people in a lot of pain, people with a lot of concerns and they often feel like those aren't addressed mm-hmm. because they're not listened to. But I don't think it's limited to there at all. I think that's something that happens in all areas of life. I mean, just as a moderate example, I have a horrible tendency to not listen to people when I'm on my phone. Mm. And I have that in front of me. And someone will be trying to engage with me and I'll kind of have the whole, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I heard what you said, but I'm not actually engaging. So you're talking about like you're, and you're texting on your phone or you're doing something. I'm, yep. Oh, texting, yeah. checking email, doing something like that. I don't and, think anybody can, though. No, sure. It's yeah. something that I think is important, but I'm not listening to the person right in front of me. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I'm willing to admit about myself. And it's not something that's great. But I think it kind of illustrates the whole point that people want to be heard, want to be understood. And mm-hmm. we are in an age where it's very easy to find excuses and reasons not to do that. Oh, yeah. Well, I was talking with Sarah about exactly that. It's kind of funny. I'm one of those people that really does have to focus on something, you know, like one thing at a time in order to really give it my best. If I'm too distracted, I'm going to miss things, you know, or, or like you're even saying, I'm not even going to hear what that person's saying. So one of the things that we've agreed upon is that you know, if I'm on my phone doing something and Sarah comes and asks me a question or talks to me, I'll say, you know, wait, hold on, let me finish this really quick. And then I finish it and then put the phone down so that I can listen. And it's really helped. But it's it's one of those. It's like, you know, now, granted, if it's like an emergency, then it's like, well, let me put the phone down and pay attention right now. But you know what I'm oh, saying? Because yeah, usually it'll be like, oh, you're on your phone. Somebody will ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said. And then they're like, you're not even listening to me. You're like, what? What? And now you're completely distracted. And then they get mad at you. Versus if you just say, let me finish and then let me focus. That's actually helped a lot because you are right that that is a, uh, this goes back to last week's discussion. You're not being intentional in that mm-hmm. moment. You're not being focused. And then really, I mean, even I, I guess there's a, a level of sympathy, a sympathy that goes into that, you know, where it's like when you're listening to somebody, somebody, you know, you're really intent on listening to that person. Then you are trying to show some level of sympathy and or empathy. Yes. Otherwise, you're just totally, you know, zoning them out and not paying attention and thinking about, you know, yeah, last night's game, whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I, You know, it's so funny. You bring up the people want to be heard. I so agree with that. In fact, I think every single person on the planet wants to be heard somehow, sometime. You know, there's always a place and a time and whatever for that. So, yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Okay. So, you know how people say, And I've heard this more with women than I have with men, but I think it's true for both, you know, but I've heard it more with women. The idea that somebody tells you about something and they may gripe about it. They may complain about it. They may process whatever the approach is 
I have a tendency personally. It's me. It's my personality, but it's also, okay, yes, I'm a man too, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll have a tendency to say, okay, well, you know, what's the solution and what can we do about it? And then uh, I've had so many people tell me in my life, don't try to fix something. Just listen. Yeah. And I went through life trying to do that. And it wasn't until recently that I realized that is absolute crap because what I do, if I just listen, what I do is I essentially enable that person to complain and basically become a negative person that doesn't ever want to fix anything, just wants to sit there and complain about it and, you know, totally gets off on that, which is Hmm. extremely unhealthy for that person. And it's extremely unhealthy for me and anyone else around that person. I totally disagree with that. I think what is really important, and of course I know I'm going to get some flack for this, so bring it on. Let's chat. I think this will be great. But this idea that I absolutely do, just like you said, I need to put my phone down. I need to focus. I need to listen to this person. I want to listen. I want that person to vent, to you know, process through whatever it is that's going on in their life. And yes, acknowledge the negativity because if you don't, then you know you shove it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist and it's going to you know show itself later, right? Oh, yeah. So acknowledge it. And then after, I don't know, say 15 minutes or so, pick a time. I don't care, whatever. Then you say, okay, so now what? What is a solution to this? How can we remedy this situation? How can we solve it or have a healthy response to it? I talk about this on the show all the time because the reality is if we just sit there and complain about it, end of conversation and everybody moves on, what just happened? Mm -hmm. Nothing. And it's just going to happen again and again and again and again and again. It just always will. Trust me. I mean, I've I've never, ever experienced it in any other way than just what I said right there. But if you say, okay, well, what can we do to solve it and, you know, move forward and and try to find a better approach or, you know, whatever it is, man, a lot of good things can happen with that. But not everybody wants to hear that. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, but that goes back to your point of the know-it-alls. If somebody's sitting there and complaining about something and they don't want to fix it or have a better response to it, then would you consider them to be in that know-it-all category? Ooh, I hadn't thought about it from that angle. And again, like everything else, you know, this is my usual cop-out, but I think it's a balance where a lot of the time people aren't ready to hear solutions. Some of the time they just want you to kind of validate what they're feeling. But I think at some point, that's something that needs to be said. How do we fix this? How do we make it not that way? Especially if it's something that's, you know, ongoing. Fair enough. And I think actually to qualify that, you are correct that no, people do not necessarily want to hear solutions. And I I can even, I'll be the first to admit, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. No, yeah, exactly. So I don't think that that's the response either. I think what it is, is listen validate. I, I, I like you said validate. That's actually a very, very great point. So listen, validate and not don't tell them what to do. Even if you know, like step back and say, okay, so what can we do? Is there a solution? Is there a healthy response to this? You know, what do you need from me? How can I journey with you? You know, as you figure this whole thing out kind of thing, rather than yeah. saying, well, here's what you need to do, Luke, <laughs> you know, like that's stupid. Nobody likes that. So, yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, and I appreciate you bringing that up because I think that's actually the worst. So you're not fixing it then, I guess, technically, if you're taking that approach, you're more helping them to fix it. Yeah, I think so. Kind of coming alongside of them, walking with them, kind of being there with them through the process. Yeah, I think that's very valuable. But it requires a certain amount of, backtracking a little bit on what I've said, a certain amount of empathy, being able to understand 
where they are right now, understand what they're feeling, kind of trying to picture, okay, how would they react if I were to ask them how to fix it? Or how would they react if I were to just listen to what they were saying? Mm -hmm. And so on and so forth. Absolutely. Being a doctor and stuff. You're a doctor in my eyes, even though you're not. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I mean, it's a lot. But even though, you know, we've talked about medicine and health and stuff, we've also talked about health in general on the show a lot. But, you know, somebody comes and says, oh, man, you know, I'm dealing with this, you know, fill in the blank health crisis. Sometimes it's actually a fairly straightforward solution. Uh, It might be as simple as, you know, I'm having all these problems and the simple solution is change your diet. Like, really, that might be as simple as that. But the person that's in that situation, if you say, okay, we'll change your diet. How hard is that for that person? Right. That's not just like, oh, okay, I'll go throw all the junk food out and start eating vegetables tomorrow. Like that's not going to happen. That's going to be so hard. It's emotional. It's, you know, the body's going to crave all of that crap. You know, there's so Mm -hmm. much regardless of the solution, even in a situation like that or in other situations in life too, the journey to that solution might be very long and arduous. Yes. So, yeah, I like what you're saying here, man. This is great. Thanks for Thanks for bringing this up. So what oh, sure. with the sympathy uh, versus the empathy thing too, you know, you brought it up as far as they're asking these things when it comes to board exams. Um, and then you're saying, well, but this is something should it be required by everyone in life to some extent or another. What, what do you think the overarching theme is here then when it comes to this? You know, you you said there's there's three kind of scenarios, I guess. You've got the person who knows it all and doesn't have sympathy nor empathy. Then you've got the person with sympathy and then you've got the person with empathy. And I think probably every human being is going to fall into one of those three categories somehow, even if yeah. it's not, uh, you know, prominent. What's the overarching theme, piece of encouragement, whatever you want to call it. I would say that the overarching theme, I mean, all of those I think are actually inherently good, but they can be taken too far. They can be taken to a point where they paralyze you or shut you off from other people. I mean, a certain amount of confidence which I know is something that we've talked about a lot Mm -hmm. is a really good thing. Absolutely. But taken too far, it's you becoming someone who acts like they knows every, they know everything they knows. They know English y'all. Yeah. They knows it all. They knows it all. Yeah. I like that. That's right. (laughs) And at the same time, someone who has empathy is someone who, you know, has a sense for how people feel can really think of the right thing to say at a certain time in that scenario, because they know how someone's going to react, but taken too far. There's someone who's crippled by the emotions of other people. Mm-hmm. Balance is a big thing for me and trying to yeah. kind of walk the line between too much or too little of any one thing. Balance. Is that's huge. one of the big takeaways. And then also just listening. Well, I think listening is required to have sympathy and empathy. Otherwise oh, you, yeah, you just 100%. simply can't, you know, I, I like you said the confidence. A healthy level of sympathy requires confidence. A healthy level of empathy requires confidence. If you have sympathy without confidence, then it's just pandering to that person. You're not really actually listening to them. You know, you're just saying it's it's kind of like the person that greets you at the front door and they're just all happy. And like, how are you doing today? You know, and you're just like, you know, I'm, I'm actually really having a tough day. Oh, well, good to have you here. Thanks for joining us. And you're like, what? Yep. There's no sympathy, even though that's what they think they're doing. Because they're they're greeting you with joy, but there's really uh, whatever. Uh, But yeah, you're right. Like empathy without confidence has this level of, like you said, you get sucked in and it causes more problems. And yeah. And and then you become that person and that doesn't help. Right. Mm, I like what you're saying, man. But balance. I love balance, too. Oh, yeah. I like this. Okay. So there you go. I have to bring this up because 
it's Christmas time. And in addition to Christmas time, Star Wars comes out next week. That is Christmas to me. Yes. So when when are you going? Uh, hopefully the day it comes out, <laughs> if I can make it in. Thursday? <laughs> Friday. I fly back late Thursday from like, Denver. And then I get back the 15th. And I plan on spending my day at the theater. These are not reserved seats. This is like stand in line kind of seats. Oh, no, I it's reserved seats. Oh, but I plan on spending my day at the theater. So do you have your tickets? I have not gotten them yet. I should probably do that. I'm not sure you're getting into your theater. <laughs> we will find out. Our theater's not sold a crowded out in theater. October. <laughs> Jeez. I know, but fear not. I have tickets. <sighs> Well, we're going Saturday because Friday was sold out. So I got so funny the day that they went on sale. I got tickets. I think, uh, I don't know, three hours after they went on sale. I want to say, and Thursday and Friday were gone. Oh my God. And I was like, you gotta be. And and actually the Saturday early showings were gone. So I got a 1045 PM, which, you know, Hey, for those of us, uh, you know, people like me, (laughs) night people. Yeah. The night is just beginning. So we're all good absolutely i'm looking forward to that though yeah well we will talk about i think next week we're actually going to do some star wars preview stuff we're going to throw a whole bunch of like conspiracies and speculations out there just to mess with everyone because none of them are going to be true oh yeah uh but we're excited man i'm i'm pumped now you were you were asking me about stranger things too and whether or not we've talked about it and the answer to your question on that is no because I mean, we've sort of talked about it and we were getting ready to talk about it last week and then it never happened. So you want to talk about it? <laughs> sure. So we okay. have just been watching our way through season two. I think it took us all of one day to get through all of it. You binged like crazy. Oh, yeah. Nice. It is so bingeable. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So good. Nice. <laughs> Winona Ryder is still a little bit crazy. <sighs> she's better than, she's than like season one, though. Crazy, incoherent mother. Yeah. The joke was that she spends probably 50% of each season yelling something about my boy <laughs> or my son. <laughs> so season Will! one is you have to help me find Will. Will. You have to help me find my son. And I'm going to season a- two. It's like, you need to tell me what's wrong with my son. <laughs> it's like finding Nemo all over again. Oh my gosh. I, I don't know what it is. Is it? her as an actress or is it the writing or combination what's going i cannot stand her i I think it's a combination that's that's my guess here's my theory stranger things as a whole is kind of based off of this whole 80s aesthetic the movies from that era the i don't know the terminator the alien the what else is out there all the spielberg stuff yep spielberg 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 if you're sean connery spielberg Spielberg. (laughs) anyway and a lot of those deal with like these really incredibly powerful strong female protagonists think Mm -hmm. like ripley from alien oh yeah we're not getting that we're getting someone who's reduced to an incoherent mess when her son's taken away. We're not getting like someone who's on the war path because, oh yeah, I'm going to find my son, which on the one hand might be slightly more realistic writing. I think in that situation, it's absolutely but realistic. On the other hand, I don't want to see someone who's a crying mess when a problem is presented to them. I want to see someone who's like jumping up and like, all right, I am going to take everyone down. I am going to get all you sons of whatever's <laughs> not for crackers. this. 
yeah sons yeah. of nutcrackers yeah. yeah sounds good to me well so that's <laughs> no, interesting. maybe that's just me and maybe that's me like looking for a level of escapism yeah in what i'm viewing my thinking the thing about that though is like i i totally hear where you're going with that and and you're right it is realistic in the sense of that if you're looking if you look at her character in general the backstory that they have given her it absolutely makes sense that she would respond more like that than a sarah connor approach or a ripley approach right yes however i'm not even really sure if it was the writing person i mean for me anyway that was bothering me as much as it was the over dramatic presentation of it oh she's got the crazy eyes and but it even then it's like it just i don't know again i don't know if it was the the fact that she didn't act it well like it just wasn't believable or if it was the fact that they were making her like, yeah, just just blubber for like four hours and this is going to be hilarious. You know, like I don't know what they were doing with that, but it was really weird. But I tell you what, man, the kid actors were spot on. The kids are fantastic. And I the just kids wanna... are by far the best part of the show. Oh, yeah, but, but I, they were believable, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And all of the other actors and characters I thought were actually believable as well. I didn't really absolutely. have any problem with any of the other characters. I only had a problem with Winona Ryder's character. Yep. Hmm. I think that's kind of our consensus right now. That's interesting. Uh, so, yeah. did you like season two better than one? Ooh, season one came out of nowhere. I did not follow like the hype train leading up to it, so I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. So, I was very, very pleasantly surprised when I watched it. So, like that level of wow wasn't really present in the second season because I already kind of knew what I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And I already knew that it was something I enjoyed, but I think it's still at the very least matched the uh, first season Mm -hmm. in terms of atmosphere, in terms of really, really cool moments, which is really what it's all about. Let's be honest. I just watched the show for Steve's one liner and said 11 doing cool stuff. (laughs) Well, I'll agree with that. 11's cool stuff is like, yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) That was awesome. Oh, sweet. So this is interesting because I've heard a lot of people saying they didn't like season two as much. In fact, most of the stuff that I read was, was it me or was season two just kind of meh? And I don't know if that was something that people really felt or if they were, like you just said, following the lack of hype train on that one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I did sort of jump on the hype train for season one and that coupled with Winona Ryder's issue that I was telling you about and especially mm-hmm. in the first four episodes. Oh, season yeah. one I actually stopped and then I stopped right. watching it and I didn't come back to it for shoot I don't know four or five months actually and everyone's like no seriously you got to keep going you got to keep going trust me I'm like I don't know man I didn't like the first four episodes I mean I, I liked the the where it was going but it wasn't getting there so yeah, I'm like exactly. whatever and I've actually heard a lot of complaints from people who have tried to watch the show and stopped watching it about that far as well saying it's not going anywhere yeah and I'm like okay so I finally went back finished episode four and it was the end of episode four or five or something like that. One of those two that I was like, Oh, okay. Now it's going somewhere. Now I'm actually (laughs) engaged. And then, you know, the ending, like the last few episodes of season one were fantastic. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, you're right. It's like a really slow book. You know, the first third or so of the book you're going, what is going? I don't even know where we're going. And then eventually you get to the end of it. The problem is nowadays, we have too many choices to choose from and people don't have that kind of patience anymore. That is true. So you got to get to the point pretty quickly and then you take them on the journey. But anyway, I, I stuck through it, liked it season two for me because the first four episodes of season one, I didn't like 
season two for me, I liked better, but I actually mm-hmm. do agree with you that the wow factor was it happened more in season one because I didn't know it was coming versus okay, season two. I already, I already saw the wow factor. So season two was a continuation of the wow factor. And so it wasn't as much of a, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is happening. It's like, I already know what's going on, but mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I got through that one a lot faster because I was really engaged. The one thing I got to say, people were really upset with the episode um, and I'm not going to give away spoilers in case you haven't watched it, but there was an episode. I know the episode you're talking about. Yeah, where it was it was different. I actually didn't mind it. I thought it was kind of cool and people were just livid about it. They were just like, oh, my gosh, you know, this this has no business being in this this TV show and it made no sense and it didn't do anything for the story. And I'm like, Actually, I kind of disagree. I mean, it, it, you're right. It was different. But I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, I thought it wasn't as good as some of the other episodes, but it gave some really interesting backstory and some context. Yeah, exactly. It was so funny, though. I was, I was involved in a uh, discussion on Facebook about it, and one one of the one of the guys was like, you know, I just don't get it. I've tried four episodes. I don't like it. And everyone's like, no, you need to push through it and blah, blah, blah. What eventually came out of that conversation was is like, I don't like this genre. Oh. And I was like, well, then don't watch it. Like if you don't like sci-fi, if you don't like this kind of stuff, then it doesn't matter how much people love it. You're not going to like it. Don't watch it. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to. It was really kind of funny, though, how people are like, oh, my gosh, Stranger Things, best show in the world. Everybody needs to watch it or else you don't live. But only if you're into that kind of thing. Exactly. Speaking of into crazy things, there's this book that I found. So it's a video gaming book. It's called Awaken Online, and the first book is called Catharsis. I think there's two, maybe two books in the series, maybe two or three. I think there's two by Travis Bagwell. Never heard of the dude. I've been super engaged with it. It's gripped me the entire time, and it's essentially taking place, I want to say about 60 years in the future. I want to say something like that. Okay where you know technology is pretty much taken over and you know you play video games and it's super immersive you put on you know vr and everything and uh, but it actually like interacts with your brain in a way that you feel everything not just see an experience but you feel it like you feel mm-hmm. getting stabbed if you're you know that kind of thing yeah um so it's very interesting i would have never thought something like this would have drawn me in so much but anyway it's worth checking out all right if you're into that genre again if you don't like the genre, then, you know, go read Pride and Prejudice or something. I don't know. <laughs> I like that book. Did you, do you really? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh. To each his or her own. Exactly. <sighs> One last thing. Yes. You have a song here that <laughs> you need us to listen to because it's a little Christmas fun song. <laughs> it's my favorite Christmas song of all time and it's terrible. It's called Naughty Christmas. It's by a band called Lacuna Coil. They're like a <laughs> rock band out of Italy. But like a year ago, they were like, hey, we're going to put out a Christmas song. I'm someone who like is eh about Christmas music. So I was like, wait, what is this? Turns out it's a song entirely about how Krampus is going to come and steal away all the naughty children. <laughs> it is the most amazing thing I have ever heard. Oh my gosh. And okay. It is my favorite Christmas song of all time. I am totally putting that on my list. I got to find it. Yes. Oh, that is awesome. Have you heard the Megadeth Christmas special that came out? Like, was it two, three years ago now? I have not. You have to go check that out. Go to YouTube. In fact, I'll post it on the show notes thrashing through the snow man if you've not oh, seen it Lord. you absolutely have to watch it like i said it's about right. two years old so most people have probably seen it but it is it's a treat so lacuna coil naughty christmas and the megadeth christmas 
That's a beautiful thing. The good stuff. That's a beautiful thing. All right. Well, you know what the music means. Thanks for being on the show, Mad Scientist. Oh, thanks for having me again. It was really good talking to you and being back. Yeah, and what a great discussion, man. Seriously, that was yeah. super awesome and uh, powerful. So let's do it again. We shall. All right, go to realbryanshow.com. I will have, uh, actually, Emily will have those links in the show notes. Have a great day, Real Brian Show, signing off. The Real Brian Show is a production of 514 Media at 514mediaempire.com.